Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. Today, I have the honor of talking with Carl Robinson. We are using something a little different today. We're recording this podcast using Rumble Studio, a new podcast tool created by Carl and his team. Carl is not only the CEO of Rumble Studio, but you may know him better as the host of the Voice Tech Podcast. Carl, please introduce yourself. Hi, Roger. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, really impressed with the podcast. Congratulations. Uh, Bixby is a, a wonderful product in itself, and this podcast is just the perfect complement to it. So it's a real pleasure to be uh, to join you on the, on the show today. So my, my name's Carl Robinson. Uh, I am the host of the Voice Tech Podcast. We've interviewed more than 75 experts in the, the field of conversational AI and the voice-enabled interfaces over the past two years or so. Uh, you can check out all the episodes uh, and blog posts at voicetechpodcast.com. Uh, there's something there for everyone. We've interviewed everyone from engineers to product designers to researchers to founders. So there's sure to, to be an interview that, that is relevant to your particular, particular niche or uh, specialist interest in, in the voice sphere. I also am the author of uh, Voice Chops Tuesday, which is a, a weekly voice newsletter. I encourage you to, to check that out as well. It's at voicetechpodcast.com slash newsletter. There, there's a whole range of uh, different articles every week as well. So, so go check it out. And very recently, I've become the CEO. I've founded uh, a company called uh, Rumble Studio. Basically, we're a, a conversational AI SaaS for businesses to plan, record, publish, and distribute audio for content marketing. And crucially, 10 times faster and easier than is possible today with traditional tools. And uh, very lucky uh, to be actually able to demonstrate the, the product today because you are, in fact, interviewing me using Rumble Studio. So this is a wonderful experiment, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to demonstrate the, the power of the platform today. If you'd like to check it out yourself, you can just go over to rumble.studio, sign up for the MVP. It's completely free at the moment, so you can go in, have a click around, create some audio yourself. Uh, there's even the ability to publish your own podcast if you're so inclined, uh, but that's rumble.studio. So, Carl, tell me how you got started in voice. What was your first experience with a voice device, and how did you get interested in voice technology? So I found voice uh, a few years ago while I was doing my uh, data science master's degree in Paris in France. It was a two-year course studying AI, machine learning. And so I was looking around at different fields that interested me to decide what I would work in after the after I graduated. Uh, I was looking at human-computer interaction, studying robotics, VR, voice, of course, and all sorts of different fields that involve the human in some way. I quite like the, the, the human interaction element of, of things. I ended up doing a, an internship at at a laboratory called IRCAM on voice emotion transformation. And so that basically means uh, I was creating a machine learning model that would accept uh, a recording of human speech and then would transform its characteristics so that it would output a new file uh, of the person speaking with the emotion in the voice changed in some way. So it would sound more angry or happier or, or whatever you would like. Uh, and this was a fantastic first uh, introduction for me into the world of voice, allowed me to meet a lot of people who were specialists in uh, voice technology and really started to spark my imagination. And this was exactly around the, the time when, uh, you know, Amazon Alexa and these smart speakers were really taking off as well. So I could see there was a real opportunity in the industry to to work uh, in that field as well. And so this is uh, this is what really got me into voice, uh, first of all. 
I think the first voice interface I used, apart from the, you know, the toys I used as a child, and we can all think back to the 80s when there were some kinds of voice interfaces available. But in, in recent times, I think that the, the most, the, the first voice interface I used was on my mobile phone. Like many people had an Android phone. So I started issuing a few voice searches and commands to it. But as I was paying more attention to the space, I immediately went out and ordered uh, an Amazon Echo Dot, started playing with that, you know, set up my smart home, a couple of light switches, start asking it questions, hooked it up to, to Deezer so I could ask uh, ask for music tracks and things like that. Uh, and it grew from there. So then I started using my phone in the car, as people do. But I started buying the Google devices. So I have a, you know, a range of different ecosystems in the house now. But that's uh, that was my first experience, basically. So those experiences on my phone and on the, the smart speakers really um, convinced me of the potential of voice. You know, I've always been a fan of the, the idea of ambient computing, the, the Star Trek vision where we can just walk into a room and ask what we want. And none of this wait word business. You just have a thought, ask for it, and, and the cube and computer responds. And I could see, well, this is a, a big step towards that vision. It's not the full, it's not the full vision. Of course, there's going to be other modalities introduced, but it really sparked my imagination and it really made me, it made me think that this is the technology that has the most potential to advance the quickest in, in the coming years. You know, I was thinking about my career and what I wanted to work on. I was thinking strongly about VR, but I thought, hmm, VR still has a long way to go before it really, you know, takes off in the mainstream. But this voice thing, this really looks like it's got a lot of potential in the short term. And I think I was right in, in that prediction as well, because looking at um, the proliferation of smart speakers and the fact that so many searches are conducted over voice today, it's definitely, it's definitely a trend that's going to stick. The Voice Tech Podcast is a must listen. So listeners, go listen to it. You have over 70 episodes right now, Carl, and I enjoyed being a guest in episode 61. Please tell listeners more about your podcast. Oh, thanks, Roger. I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, like I was saying before, and as you mentioned, we've done over over 70 episodes now. I could mention a few that, that really stick in my mind. Yours was a, a personal favorite, actually. It was uh, The thing I liked about our conversation is that it was very well structured. We really got into the, the details of uh, the Bixby system as well. Uh, I left that conversation feeling so impressed, so uh, in in awe of the, the work that you guys have done over there. But we've had lots of conversations like that on uh, the Voice Tech Podcast. For me, personally, it's been a wonderful experience for personal branding reasons. You know, I've expanded my network hugely by doing so. I've spoken to lots of people that I would have never had the opportunity to, to speak to otherwise. Um, so it's been it's been a wonderful experience. Some of the ones that stick in my mind, because uh, I've got a poor memory, <laughs> I would say the most recent one, uh, Open Source uh, Natural Language Understanding with Alan Nicol, uh, the CTO of RASA. That's a fantastic very technical episode. Um, just looking down the list, also Yannick Oswald, Investing in Voice. If you're interested in knowing how the, the investment community sees voice, this is a, a great one to go to. One's uh, right at the beginning, the very first one was with Eric Bollo, the CTO of Bat Voice, who, do, um, who are a speech analytics company in uh, in Paris that I actually did an internship at. We talk all about speech to text there. Uh, another one on speech to text was David Borish, uh, analyzing the performance of different speech to text models. Pablo Arias, talking about his research with uh, smiles in the voice. This is a fantastic episode that a lot of people refer to as well. So the list goes on. There's more than 70. I, I could speak all day on the subject, but uh, I encourage you to go and check it out, voicetechpodcast.com. You can listen to all the episodes uh, there. The last three are, are free in their entirety, and there's a, a good 15-minute previews of, of all the rest. Um, if you are interested in accessing the fullback catalog, then you can become a, a Voice Tech Pro. Uh, just go to voicetechpodcast.com slash pro, and then uh, all the episodes there ad-free are available for you to listen to. They're evergreen episodes. There's a lot of stuff discussed there that, that really hasn't changed that much. So if you're building uh, Bixby apps or any kind of voice interface, you're going to get a huge amount of value by listening to that back catalogue.
We will definitely put links to your podcast and website in the show notes. Now, what was your motivation for becoming a podcaster? Do you remember the first podcast you recorded? What was it all about? Oh, thanks, Roger. I appreciate that. Yeah, so my motivation for becoming a podcaster really started uh, while I was working in the laboratory at Yakam. Being a, a you know a researcher and intern, it's quite a lonely job. You're sat there coding all day. You don't really speak to that many people around you, and especially if you're the intern, you're kind of the, the on the most lowly rung, so people don't really uh, approach you that often. I, I needed an excuse to go and speak to the people around me, and I thought, oh, I can do a, a podcast and interview them. That offers them some value um, straight off the bat and, and gives me an excuse. So I did that. I contacted a few of the people in the lab, and they were open to the idea. Pablo Arias was one of them, as I just mentioned. And the first person I interviewed actually was, like I mentioned, Eric Bolo, who uh, had already done an internship uh, with at Bat Voice. Uh, so we were talking about speech to text, all the different speech to text models, the open source tools that you can use to, to create your own speech to text models. He was training a model in English and in French, specifically around, I think at the time it was around sales prediction. So he was working on call center data two speakers with the the customer doing most of the speaking. And so we were analyzing the, the speech there to detect whether the customer was likely to, to buy at the end of the conversation, because this helps call center agents determine if they uh, want to continue with the call, if it's going to be a lucrative call or not. And uh, I also trained a model when I worked there on a gender detection, just to see if we can detect whether it was a, a male or a female voice uh, speaking. And uh, so that was a really interesting experience. I remember I was quite nervous when I recorded that first one. I remember I was sitting in my chair, all bunched up, with uh, sitting with my knees pressed up to my chest. And my voice was very small. I sound very quiet on the podcast. Uh, these days, I've taught myself to sit up and project. So a lot has changed uh, over the 70 episodes. But it's a great experience. And I tell you, it really did work from a, a networking point of view. After I after I recorded the first six or seven uh, episodes, interviewing people in my immediate network, then I just started getting uh, approached by companies left and right. And it snowballed from there. A question I hear often is, how do I get started podcasting? What advice would you have for aspiring podcasters? Well, I've got plenty of advice for, for budding podcasters because I've gone through the journey myself. I'll trim it down to just uh, three basic ones. The first one is just to start. As soon as you feel like you might want to do a podcast, the best thing to do is just give it a go. Find one person, write down a few questions and ask those questions. Have a conversation with them um, because you're not sure whether you'll like it. You're, it'll never be perfect the first time you try it. So the, the way to get better is by starting immediately. Um, and it's great fun as well. You might just uh, get the bug as soon as you've done one interview and it sounds half decent then you'll have other people who will be interested you can use that as evidence that you're uh, you're serious and you'll find it much easier to get guests so i would say just start with one at least at the beginning in terms of releasing it one one tip that i get is to to record three or four up front before uh, launching a podcast or so something I didn't do. Um, and I was always uh, rushing to find new guests to, to fill up the queue. Uh, it's good to have a bit of a buffer. So I would say record three or four before you actually launch. But to get started, just do the one. The second thing would be to prepare. So to know your guest, read their blog. Usually that's all that's needed. I, I look at their social accounts in their blog and see what they're all about. Uh, and then I can come up with lots of questions driven by my own curiosity as to, you know, why they got into this, the, the space, what their company does, the challenges in their industry, um, who their clients are, what the main problem they solve is, all, all sorts of questions that come to mind. Just write down the questions in a Google Doc 
And then afterwards, you can structure them. You can reword the questions as you like uh, to form a, you know, a full conversation script. You don't need to stick to the script exactly, but it really does help to have uh, questions in mind and to know a bit about their business and, and the industry that it's, that it's in before you actually speak to them. So you can sound informed. Uh, so you respect their time. And so you get the best out of, the, out of your guest. And the last one I would say is uh, tooling. You don't need to go out and spend, uh, you know, 250 bucks on a mic straight away. Uh, my microphone that I've always used costs 20 euros. I did need an audio interface that cost around 60. Uh, I've got Behringer. I think it's Behringer for the, the brand for both of that, those things. So I spent less than 100 bucks on, on both of that. You can use free software or the software that you can buy is relatively inexpensive. I can tell you my stack right now for recording remote interviews. I use Squadcast. I edit in Hindenburg, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Uh, my podcast host is currently Buzzsprout, although there are many good ones like Blueberry, uh, Libsyn. I've got a WordPress blog, which you can set up basically for free. I'm hosted on Hosting, which have really good uh, affordable plans as well. In order to schedule remote interviews, I use Calendly, but don't expect them to always turn up. Expect some guests to cancel and you have to, to do it all over again another day. And uh, like I said, I use Google Docs for the scripts. Uh, I always send them questions beforehand so they can they can review it, suggest any any corrections as well. So that's the, the general kind of tooling. So most of that stuff you can get for less than a few hundred bucks, but you definitely don't even need to spend that when you first start out. I would say just get your first five episodes uh, recorded for, for next to nothing and then go from there. And what about for more experienced podcasters? Any thoughts on maintaining a successful podcast? So once you've found your stride and you've got your processes in place, you'll probably notice a number of other things come up. Apart from maintaining a buffer of episodes so you don't get caught out, I would say uh, consistency is, is the key because your listeners will start to expect episodes every week or every two weeks or, or whatever it is you do. I personally found weekly to be a lot of work. I started out doing one every two weeks. Um, then when the podcast became popular, I, I switched to weekly, but then I found it really was a lot of work. Uh, it was at that point that I realized, you know, it was kind of interfering with my other activities. So then I started outsourcing some of the activities, found an external podcast editor. I hired a virtual assistant to handle a lot of the social media, these kinds of things. But what you save in time, uh, you incur in uh, financial expense. <laughs> so it's a trade-off. The, the number one thing that you'll realize, it just takes more and more time. And that puts a pressure on you to monetize so that you can outsource some of this stuff. So it, it gradually goes from being a, a hobby and an enjoyable activity to becoming a, a business. And that's the, the big recommendation I would give is that don't underestimate the amount of time creating audio can take and creating it consistently, uh, high quality, professionally, and over the long term really is it's much more of an investment than, than some people believe. Uh, and, and an interesting fact is that at the moment, there are over 1 million podcasts on Apple Podcasts. And it's a fact that is banded around a lot. But only half of those are active or actively being uh, updated with new episodes. And only half of those have more than 10 episodes. And so, in fact, there are only 250,000 active podcasts with more than 10 episodes on the Apple Podcast Store, which when you consider consider that next to the number of blogs there are, you know, hundreds of millions of blogs, the number of YouTube channels, I think there's more than 30 million YouTube channels. 250,000 podcasts really is not that much. And I think that one of the big reasons for that is that there's such a high level of attrition because it's so time-consuming to create audio content uh, and to do so uh, over the long term consistently. Carl, one of the things you've done is monetize your podcast. Paid listeners get extra content, and can listen to the full episodes of older podcasts. Tell me more about this monetization, how it's gone, and would you recommend others follow your path? Yes, that's right. So like I was saying, 
time was becoming more of an issue. So I needed to monetize in order to outsource uh, a lot of the repetitive tasks. And so I was thinking, how could I get money from the podcast without spoiling it by cramming it full of ads? I do uh, sell advertising space on the podcast. I've limited it to, I think, two sponsors per show. So it's not overly burdened. I think the max that people that I've seen people do is four. So they do a, a pre-roll two mid-rolls and uh, what's it called a post-roll or the one at the end and but there's other ways you can monetize your podcast as well uh, other than ads so another one that i've gone down another option that i've taken is uh, affiliate marketing so i actually uh, recommend some courses one in particular um a conversation design course by robocopy uh, you can check that out voicetechpodcast.com slash robocopy highly recommend it it's a uh, very very popular one of the best conversation design courses out there and that's probably been uh, alongside the ad space and the voice tech pro, which I'll talk about in a moment has been one of the, the best ways that I found to monetize the podcast and it delivers value because it's something very, very relevant to my audience. Um, and voice tech pro is the other thing that I've done. So I've offered uh, listeners a way to contribute. It's currently uh, $8 a month. And what you get for that is episodes earlier than, than on the public feed. So you, it's done through Patreon. You get your own private RSS feed. You get episodes earlier. You get them ad free. And you get some bonus content as well. So often in podcasts, I ask a few bonus questions, usually about the the guest's personal life or their career or advice they have for people, you know, entering the industry, the more in-depth questions. And I save those just for the pro listeners. And like you say, the, the other thing that the pro listeners get is access to the full back catalog. So my logic was that if people are so into the podcast that they're willing to go back and listen to the full back catalog, then they're probably the kind of people that be willing to pay to do that. But I didn't want to paywall the entire podcast, of course, because that is the benefit that, you know, I offer my guests is exposure to my audience. So I, I thought it was a nice trade off to always the, the latest three or four episodes uh, publicly available with ads um, so that anyone subscribed to the podcast will always get the, the full conversations minus the bonus content and then they won't need to subscribe but if they wanted to go back and listen to everything else on the pro feed with no ads and bonus content then they can pay eight dollars a month support the show and get the benefit that way uh, and i think it's worked quite well the guests are completely happy with it. The vast majority of the downloads of every, any episode are in the first two or three weeks anyway. Uh, so by the time I uh, change the episode from the full ad supported episode on the pet on the public feed to the to a 15 minute preview and then uh, encourage guests if they want to hear the full um, episode, they have to subscribe to the pro feed. By the time that happens, the vast majority of people have, have, have listened to the, the free public version anyway. So I don't feel like I'm denying anyone the chance to listen to the latest content. I still manage to build my audience through it. But I add that additional benefit for people who do want to upgrade. Would I recommend others follow this path? I think, I think it's definitely one option. I wouldn't do it right at the beginning. You need to have more of a, an established audience before you implement something like that. I would start probably with a, a basic ad sponsorship if, if you've got sufficient numbers. Uh, the good thing about running a, a podcast in a, in a tight niche like voice is that you don't need to have, you know, a hundred thousand listeners in order to, to make a decent amount of money, uh, advertising because you're, you're super targeted at this, uh, hard to reach audience. Then you can charge increased rates. For, um, for relatively modest download numbers. So I wouldn't look at the the standard CPM. I think the standard um, CPM cost per meal, the amount you can charge per thousand listeners is around 25 bucks. I've seen figures from 15 to $40, but uh, I think the average is around 25. I wouldn't follow that for if you have a very niche podcast. Instead, I would go to targeted businesses who might want to represent themselves uh, on your show and reach that target audience and then just deal, do one-to-one -one deals with them. Uh, I actually used uh, Patreon, which has worked quite well for me. 
to offer different levels. So I've got one sponsorship level for businesses that allow them to put their logo on my newsletter and my website, and I give them a shout out on the podcast. And I've got the upgraded level, which is more expensive, that gives them a full spoken host read message on the actual podcast, as well as all the newsletter and, and website stuff. So, but remember all that stuff takes time to set up. It takes time to manage. You've got people who come, they, then they leave. You've got to take the logos on and off. You've got to record the ads. It really does add more work. So again, like I was saying before, it, if you go down that path, then the podcast um, really does start to become a, a business that you have to think about and, and does eat up more and more of your time. You founded a new company, Rumble Studio. It's great and a unique tool for podcasters. And indeed, we are using it right now to record this podcast. Tell me more about Rumble Studio and what it does. Yes, that's right. You are listening to a botcast. This is what we're calling them, botcasts, not podcasts, because they're conducted asynchronously. This is the the unique aspect of Rumble Studio. Uh, essentially, I, you know, I created it because... Uh, as I've just described, doing voice tech podcasts for the last couple of years, I realized that creating audio content is uh, a really time-consuming task. And it's a very linear task as well. If you want to create two episodes, it takes you exactly twice as long as it does to create one episode. There's not that many economies of scale once you've got all your processes and stuff set up. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a tool that I could ask uh, the questions that I ask every guest, you know, asking the same questions every week. Wouldn't it be great to be able to ask these questions send them over to the guest and have them record their answers. Uh, and I looked around and I just couldn't find a tool for it. And I thought, well, this would really help me to uh, scale the amount of output. You know, I wanted to be able to double the amount of output that I was putting out. I wanted to be able to create unique content for the Voice Tech Pro uh, audience as well. And uh, but I just didn't have the time to do it. I thought, right, this is it. I'm going to set up, a, I'm going to create a, a product that actually does this. It's going to help me do my job and uh, hopefully it'll help other people as well. And uh, and here we are. We're actually using the, the first version, the MVP, which is live. You can try it now at rumble.studio. Um, I'll tell you a bit about uh, how it works. Uh, basically, like as I described at the beginning, it's a conversational AI SaaS for businesses to plan, record, publish, and distribute audio for content marketing and in a fraction of the time that's possible today. Um Audio content, as I found, is really effective for top and mid-funnel engagement. It's a fantastic way to build your brand as a, an individual or as a company. And marketers these days are really cottoning on uh, to the fact that podcasts do work. Companies will spend more than a billion dollars on podcasts next year, but the vast majority of that will go on podcast advertising. That means buying ads on other people's podcasts. Uh, and only I think it's only 2% of companies who, who do content marketing uh, will create any audio content themselves. I believe that the problem is exactly as I described, that audio content is just very, very time-consuming to, to produce. Our solution to that is a, is a SaaS product that allows you to conduct asynchronous interviews. That's the, the key point. Essentially, you just write some questions um, into the SaaS product, or you can record your, your voice, and then you invite your guests with an email address. And so we help you write the questions, structure the interview. So there's a lot of knowledge that you, you get straight away by using the platform. It removes a, a lot of the, the doubt and the learning curve from actually setting up a podcast interview. And then on the guest side, they receive an invite in their email. They click a link to go into the, the app. And then chatbot style conversation happens where the chatbot puts the questions that you've specified to the guest uh, and the guest records their answers. Now, in the first version that we've got live at the moment, it's simply that it's a rigid question answer structure. But in future versions, we're actually going to implement some of the uh, the latest NLP and NLU technologies that I've been talking about uh, for the past two years on the show to actually listen to what the guest said and then dynamically follow up 
with dynamically generated follow-up questions that are sensible and specific to what the guest just said. So to give you some examples, if a guest gives a, a really short answer, you ask them what they do and they just say, well, I work in sales. That's not very engaging for a podcast listener. A human host would say, oh, that's interesting. Okay, tell me a bit more and prompt them to keep talking. And we can train the bot to do that, to measure the length of the answer they gave and then prompt them to say more. Or we can pick out certain uh, key words, nouns or verbs in what they said uh, using named entity recognition and then ask them to clarify those topics or talk more about those topics. We can measure the emotion in their voice. If they sound particularly excited about something or particularly uh, disappointed or angry about something, we can inquire as to why do they feel that way, for example. We can do this with uh, emotion recognition APIs that exist today. So there's all sorts of technology that we can bring to bear on this in order to simulate a lifelike conversation and extract uh, the best audio clips from the guest to be able to really capture and uh, disseminate their knowledge. So then when the guest has recorded all the answers to their questions, they've gone down the, the decision tree from every uh, human specified question uh, and you've, you've got the audio, then you can do, uh, you can do what a lot of podcast uh, producers do these days and actually then record the questions after the fact. So you can actually, even though you've written the questions in text form, for example, or you recorded them before you sent them to the guest, you can re-record them having heard the answer to the guest so they sound more, more linked to what the guest actually says. And this is what um, professional podcasters actually do. They often go back and, and re-record their questions. So they, you know, they sound uh, more tuned in or they, they record it in a more emotional or uh, more impactful passioned way. Um, and so you've got the, the host audio and that doesn't have to be you. The system actually allows you to invite anyone you like to be a, a host speaker. So say you're working in a business and you're the content marketing manager, you've written the questions for the guest and the guest has answered them. But then you decide that actually your sales manager would be a great person to ask those questions because that person really understands the product, is very charismatic, is used to speaking with their voice all day. And so we invite the sales manager and uh, he or she records the question audio and so now you have both. You have the, the audio for the questions and the audio for the answers. You can drag in a, a jingle on each end. We've got a selection of jingles you can choose from. If you want, you can uh, add adverts or any other kind of sponsorship um, audio that you've pre-prepared. You've got a drag and drop template editor where you can reorder things. You can discard any answers that were no good that came back from the guest. Um, you can basically do everything that you would do in the, the traditional uh, tool stack that I described earlier but in a much easier fashion, a, a drag and drop interface that anybody can use without having to learn every single one of the tools. And then, of course, the system automatically merges all of those audio files together. So you just press a button. Uh, it removes all the silence. It uh, removes the noise. It levels the volume, does all sorts of the other EQ kind of stuff to make it sound really uh, studio crisp. It puts the jingles on there and then exports it. So you get a, a zip file with all the individual files. You get the one merged uh, podcast file, which has been nicely processed. And you get the option to then host that. So we offer free hosting so that you can actually host that as a podcast and get an RSS feed, which you can then submit to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the rest. So you actually have a live show. But the the really unique part of this as well, apart from it being asynchronous, is the fact that because you've recorded the question-answer audio in, in uh, segmented blocks, then you can use each of those question-answer blocks independently. So, for example, you might want to use one of the blocks on your audio FAQ page, for example, or on your pricing page to reassure customers and encourage them to buy a, a higher-tier product. You can also easily convert those that question-answer block for a single question into a social video. So you can use an app like Headliner or uh, Wave to convert that to a video, and you can share it immediately on your social networks for immediate engagement. And the thing that we're really excited about, which is more of a long-term play, is to have this segmented question-answer audio surfaced by Google 
as a search result. So Google is now prioritizing audio as a first-class citizen alongside images and video and text. Audio is now being surfaced. So uh, podcast shows and individual podcast episodes are being returned in response to certain search queries. And uh, additionally, they're actually returning videos with the seek bar scrolled to the point that answers your question. Uh, and we think it's just a matter of time before they do the same thing with audio. Uh, and these highly segmented audio clips that you can create on Rumble Studio are perfect for audio search results and specifically voice search results. And uh, it's my personal belief that when you speak to a voice enabled interface and you ask a question, it would be far better to get uh, a response uh, by a human speaking about that exact uh, topic, answering that specific question, because they've done so uh, in the course of an interview on Rumble Studio, than it would be to have the featured snippet read out from some website or the Wikipedia definition or this kind of thing. And especially when I talk about uh, a company, if I ask, you know, what does Salesforce do? I don't want the Wikipedia definition of what Salesforce does. I want the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, to explain to me in his own words what that company does. And if you try it today, if you if you ask uh, any smart speaker, what does Salesforce do? I guarantee it won't be the CEO that tells you. It'll be some uh, other proxy to that. So this is a, another thing that we're really uh, excited about is the ability to capture audio in a highly structured manner and be able to make it available for repurposing as a podcast, audio FAQ, social video, and search results, and even uh, as responses in voice apps in a, in a Bixby app. You can absolutely use it for that as well. So this is uh, one of the key benefits in recording asynchronously in a structured manner as Rumble Studio does. The other benefits, of course, are that it reduces the amount of equipment you need. You don't need to buy so much software. You completely avoid uh, the scheduling issues in recording uh, live conversations. I personally, as a podcast host, have had guests cancel on me many times. You've mentally prepared. You've written all your questions. You're ready to go. You've had your coffee. And then they don't show up. And you're like, oh, you have to do it all over again. It's kind of emotionally draining, that that part of it. But with an asynchronous podcast, not only do you don't have any of that problem, but you can reach these hard-to-reach guests. You know, If you want to interview a CEO, you can just send them a link, and they can do it whenever they're free. It's much easier to, to get them uh, to record uh, asynchronously than it is to get a whole hour of their time to, to record a show with you. Like I say, that you don't need to spend time on the recording either, so you save all the time that you would usually spend uh, talking to them. And then all the editing is done automatically as well. So you don't have to learn how to use Hindenburg or do any EQ stuff and remove the reverb and all of these audio techniques that you would either have to learn how to do yourself or pay an editor to do. We can do it automatically. And all of this reduces the amount of time that you spend actually uh, faffing around with the audio, which means that you can increase your content output. And our aim at Rumble Studio is to make producing audio as quick and easy as writing a blog post. And I think we're doing that. So you've made it possible for a podcast host and a podcast guest to asynchronously record. That's truly unique. I haven't seen that before. Where did this idea come from? That's right. I, I believe it really is a, a unique innovation. It's kind of contrarian because the, the general belief around podcasts is that it has to be two humans talking to each other and two humans talking to each other at the same time. It has to be synchronous. So we're challenging both of those ideas in that we believe asynchronous conversations enabled by the latest natural language processing, natural language understanding, conversational dialogue frameworks that exist today. You can create helpful and engaging conversations that people will, will actually want to listen to. It came, the idea came from a, a need, as I was saying before, you know, I just couldn't handle all the requests that, that were being made of me of my time on the podcast. Every day I was getting approached by CEOs, marketers who wanted to be on the show. Uh, I just didn't have the time to do it. It was taking me two full days. It was about, yeah, it was 10 hours of hard work if I was to do the whole process end to end for one single hour of, of podcast episode. Uh, and so, like I say, I was 
trying to outsource a lot of this stuff, but you know, I couldn't afford to, to pay a, an editor to edit, you know, an episode every single day. And it really was becoming a business. So I thought, let's automate some of this stuff. Let's use the technologies that I talk about every day. You know, I've just done a master's in data science. I talk to these experts who, you know, build a conversational systems every day. You must be able to automate what I do to some extent and produce a reasonable result. And I, I believe that will have a lot of value, not just for me, but for, for the wider business community as well. And, uh, and there we are. So this is, this is what really spurred me on to create Rumble Studio. That's right, folks. I recorded my voice questions separately here in California at my own leisure, and Carl recorded his answers in Paris, France at his own leisure, completely separately. Rumble Studio took care of everything for us. It provided us both with the questions, the ability to record at our leisure, and then stitch it together into the podcast that you're listening to right now. Really an amazing tool. Hey, Carl. What's the cost of using Rumble Studio? Well, it's completely free at the moment. The MVP is live, like I say, at rumble.studio. Uh, go check it out. You can sign up for a free account, click around, create some audio. We're still deciding on the, the pricing model for when the, the full version is released. And we're currently redesigning the UI uh, using Angular framework. Uh, so the UI is going to be much improved over the next few weeks. UX design is going to be working on the, all the flows and uh, the site's going to be a lot more responsive as well. Uh, so go and have a go on the, the MVP. For the, for the pricing model, when we do fully uh, launch the full version, uh, we're still deciding on that. So I haven't got any figures to give you right now, but there will always be a freemium tier so you can create some audio for free. Uh, so there's no reason not to, to go and check it out. Well, the price is certainly right. So listeners, give it a try. I'm really looking forward to using Rumble Studio more. It's definitely a great tool in the podcaster's tool shed, so to speak. Can you tell me, Carl, what some of your early users are doing with Rumble Studio? Yeah, absolutely. So the users at the moment are doing all sorts of things with it. A number of people have interviewed me like you're doing. I, I did one podcast for the Communicate Influence podcast, uh, talking about Rumble Studio again, of course. But I've spoken with users who've got all sorts of ideas. So there's one who's a podcast agency who's uh, looking to reduce the uh, the cost of creative by sending the standard set of questions to, to many different guests. So that's on the podcast creation side. Another uh, user is a marketing agency is looking to actually run account-based marketing activities uh, through it by interviewing uh, potential clients, so identifying potential clients in target organizations, and then sending them podcast questions on Rumble Studio to establish that uh, communication line to add value immediately, and then to be able to begin a sales conversation after that. There are clients using it to interview their existing clients to capture client testimonials, put those on the, the pricing page or their audio FAQ, for example. Other users are using it for interviews with their internal staff, you know, interviewing the product team, engineering team, sales executives to demonstrate thought leadership. Uh, of course, you can interview external thought leaders as well. You can bring people um, from outside to add content that way, run a panel. Because you can interview uh, multiple different people at the same time, you can crowdsource uh, different answers as well and put those together into a single podcast. So it's a really creative tool. All sorts of different um, people that you can interview, lots of different, you know, any subject that you can think of. Uh, and then, like I was saying before, the system is designed so that the audio you do capture um, at an atomic, a discrete question-answer level can be repurposed in many different ways. So not only can you merge it together to form a long-form podcast, uh, but you could also use it as a flash briefing uh, on the Amazon platform through smart speakers. You can create an audio FAQ, like I say. You can convert it to video clips for social media uh, and, and many more besides. So it's a, a really flexible tool. Uh, and like I say, it's free at the moment, so you may as well go and give it a go. 
Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about voice. Carl, you're deeply ingrained in the voice industry. What do you think makes a great voice experience? What advice would you give voice developers or designers? Yeah, of course. So I've learned a lot of different things from the, the conversations I've had um, on the podcast. And um, the first one, of course, is is general advice for anyone building any kind of uh, solution to a problem and that it has to solve a real need. You can't just build things for the sake of it and then hope everyone uses it. You do really have to uh, solve a real problem in people's lives. Ideally, something perhaps that you've experienced in your life or that uh, people that you're closely connected to experience. So you can actually reference them and get feedback on that, either by querying your own intuitions or, or by speaking to them. Something that I think you're fond of saying that technology needs to get out of the way. I really love that. I think that technology should be unobtrusive, constant alerts from my smartphone. You know, we're all tired of that now. So I tend to disable all of these kinds of things. And I think with voice, especially, you have to be very, very careful about how much time you take from people. Uh, you don't want to be talking for too long. Uh, you don't want to be giving long menus. It needs to be, I think, in, in this current state of affairs with the technology as it is today, be a bit more transactional, a bit more snappy. We're not really at the point where these interfaces are truly conversational. They're not really helping you find what you're looking for. You need to know what you're looking for before you start interacting with them. And so I think they lend themselves better to these uh, very specific use cases. Classic ones are like turning off the light or asking for, a, you know, to play the music and these kinds of things. And so in my life, this is what I tend to, to use them for at the moment. Uh, and a good example for that, for example, in the car. So, you know, your hands are on the wheel. You don't want to be using a smartphone because it's dangerous. And so when it works really well, when I ask to navigate to a certain direction or turn off the music or, or whatever, and it works, that's the point where I, I really feel that I've got a lot of value from voice because I know what the alternative is and it's difficult and it's dangerous. Some other use cases might seem a little bit more trivial at the moment. So I think we need to look for more use cases that really do have that um, tangible benefit, like in the car. One of the intuitions I've developed in the conversations is that the startups that seem to be doing quite well are, are ones that are quite domain specific. So these interfaces, machine learning models, uh, they're trained on a certain language model uh, that is fine tuned with uh, a specific vocabulary, uh, for example. And so the, the, the startups I see are doing well and the ones that are being acquired are ones that focus on uh, very tight use cases in a very specific industry or a specific vertical. For example, one uh, conversation I had with Satisfy Labs, who train an AI question-answer system for sports venues. So you can imagine like the types of questions that customers would ask while at a sports venue are much more, much more specific and, and, and a much tighter group of questions than the type of questions that anybody at home would ask their, their smart speaker, right? And so it's much easier to train a, a, an AI model to handle those and provide a high level of accuracy and intent resolution and therefore delight the customer. Another example are these voice commerce, v-commerce um, solutions that you see out there. So there was one that was acquired by Apple called Voices. You know, they import a product catalog from a website, and then website visitors, when they ask for, to see certain products from that website, they get the search results, which are very accurate. So again, they delight the customer because it's, the, the result is exactly what the customer is looking for. So I think when you identify a real need, and it seems to be possible to solve that problem using a voice system, then really try and tighten up the use case around that. And I think then you've got the, the best chance of, of success. Well, that's definitely sage advice. What advice would you give those who are considering a career in voice? Where do you think the big opportunities in voice are? Well, the voice industry is still relatively new with regards to other technologies. It, things are in flux. Things are moving very quickly. All the platforms are competing and releasing new features all the time. So no one's really sure 
who the winner is going to be, where we're going to be in a few years' time. So bear that in mind. One of the the job roles I see popping up more and more is the role of a conversation designer. And this is a a cross-platform role. So if you acquire skills in conversation design, it can apply to any platform, whether it's Amazon or Google or Samsung or or whatever. So I I would say that's a safer bet in that if you invest your time in developing skills in that area, they will be valid over the long term. From a learning point of view, there's plenty of courses on conversation design as well. And there's one, as I was mentioning before, by Robocopy. You can go to voicetechpodcast.com slash Robocopy and check that out. There's actually a discount on there as well. But there are many more. There's one for Career Foundry. There's uh, another one that escapes me. But there's a lot of going on in the conversation design space and a, a great support group as well. On the developer side, it depends how you want to do it. So uh, a technology that uh, a lot of people talk about is Jovo because it's cross-platform. So again, you're kind of hedging your bets and you're learning one system that can deploy to multiple different big tech platforms. Or you can just dive um, headfirst into to one of the platforms and become a specialist in that area, which may be um, more appropriate if you're looking to work with an agency who's looking for a specialist to develop for that platform. So for example, Bixby is uh, the new kid on the block. I was really, really impressed by the technology that you guys have built, actually, the last Project Voice back in January. Uh, so by now, uh, I can only imagine um, all the, the advancements that you, you guys have implemented. Uh, so Perhaps that is a is another strategy for a developer. So either hedge your bets with, with something like Jovo or just dive into something like Bixby, get in early. You can be one of the first developers to actually develop deep skills there. And then you can command higher rates, of course, because there will be uh, less competition. Uh, and along with that, I would say don't underestimate the importance of creating a personal brand. So let's say you do become one of the foremost Bixby developers on the scene, then don't just keep it to yourself. Actually do some marketing um, for yourself, create a website. And the thing that's worked best for me is actually creating a podcast. So actually talk about your experience, interview the, the customers you're working with, speak to thought leaders, elevate your, yourself, post on LinkedIn uh, and become a face that's recognized. Because when people think, oh, we need a Bixby developer, who do we go to? of course, your name is going to be the first person on their minds. And instead of running a search, they're just going to give you a call. So I would take that aspect of the business quite seriously as well, whether you're an individual or uh, you're starting a company. Let's talk a little bit about Bixby. The Bixby marketplace is coming to TVs, watches, and smart appliances, that is refrigerators, this year. What of these new devices are you excited about? How do you think a voice experience can be different on these new devices? Well, I'm really excited to see what you guys do with Bixi because, you know, as uh, I think you said uh, before, 500 million devices that Samsung sell every year, which is just a phenomenal number. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but that really presents a unique opportunity for developing a a very tightly, tightly uh, integrated ecosystem. I think integration is one of the things that's currently missing uh, the most from the, the existing platforms. I have to buy a smart speaker for, for every room, but still, I have to be near that smart speaker for it to hear me. The handoff between uh, these smart speakers is still quite poor, in my opinion. For example, you know, on my Google Home, I can't seem to transfer a podcast playing in the bathroom into the bedroom without having to stop it and then re-requesting it. I can't just say, play that in the bedroom. Maybe you guys have got that working. (laughs) I can't seem to get it to work for the life of me. So I think tight integration across the Bixby range of products would be fantastic. You know, I can imagine if it's built into my fridge, but then I don't need to buy a smart speaker for the for the kitchen, do I? Because I I can just talk straightly to, straight to the fridge. Same for a watch. I think mobile is one of the, the biggest missing pieces for this. You know, we've got the the hearables and things, 
that have come out now, but you're not wearing earphones all day, whereas a watch is something you can keep on your wrist all the time. And so that context can be preserved. Uh, and especially if it's uh, very tightly integrated as the Bixby system seems to be, uh, that you can have that continuity of experience, which I think is really important for voice. It takes us, again, one step closer to that vision of ambient computing, which uh, I was talking about earlier. And we can't forget about TVs, of course, the smart TVs that uh, Samsung is going to have Bixby incorporated in. I think TVs are probably probably one of the most influential of all of the devices because they are the information hub for most homes. They are, of course, an inherently multimodal device. And I know that you guys at Bixby have built with multimodal uh, by default. So every, every app that you guys build in Bixby is comes with a screen by default, which of course you can customize depending on the device. And I think that poses a number of interesting uh, opportunities for bringing the screen into the home where for other devices, it might make sense to just have a voice only or a voice first with a TV. It really is uh, you know, visuals first and acting as a hub an information hub for that can control all these other devices i think it presents a lot of interesting opportunities we can't forget that the tv is still the number one entertainment device and people watch tv more than anything else and to have that voice enabled through bixby uh, is very very exciting i think it will help bring uh, voice interfaces to the masses in a way that these other devices uh, can't do so carl let's talk about voice in general what are you excited about that's happening right now or what are you excited about that's going to happen in the next year or so? You know, what I'm really excited about is search and how uh, voice content and voice assistants are both going to be much more tightly integrated into the, the search ecosystem. So we've seen on the voice assistant side, these Alexa quick links. Uh, there are also action links from on the Google side so that you can actually create links that link directly into your app. And I'm sure you guys at Bixby have got something else in store uh, if that doesn't already exist. That really does open up the content and the experiences contained within these voice apps to uh, all the people searching for particular solutions. And in the same way, I think as I was mentioning before on the, the audio content side, audio content is now increasingly being indexed by the likes of Google and so being surfaced in search results as well. So that opens up podcasts and other types of audio content to searches. And search is the primary way that people discover things online. And so I think that's going to really boost the utility. It's going to boost the, the value of creating voice content and uh, voice experiences. And that's something that I'm, I'm really excited about. What I'd like to see is uh, perhaps on the, the Google side, a, a separate tab just for audio results. And they've got one for video, I believe, and they've got one for images. Uh, why not one for audio and, and voice apps at the same time? Um, this is often what you know people are searching for, but instead of having to type the word podcast or voice app into the search bar and have the, the results mixed up with all the, the rest of the stuff that comes on the main page, why not just have a tab for it? So uh, if they haven't got that already, then hopefully that's coming out soon. But I'd like to see a, yeah, an increased prioritization in the, the display of those results, because I, I know that these search engines are already transcribing all the podcasts that are out there. They're already indexing a lot of the, uh, the links that link into uh, to voice apps. Uh, so why not display it to users in a more prominent fashion, stimulate the ecosystem, and, uh, and provide another opportunity for monetization at the same time? Let's project out a bit. Let's say five or even 10 years. Where do you see voice going? So I'd love to be able to answer that question accurately. All I can talk about is uh, what I hope to, to happen, which is a, a future where things really do progress away from uh, tapping away on a keyboard or even tapping on a screen to one where we're having these more natural interactions uh, with the machines that we interact with. Ones where not just the voice, but also gaze and gesture 
and uh, facial expression and all these other nonverbal cues are taken into consideration as well as our context. And so all with the aim to service better in the moment to be able to more accurately predict what it is that we want the machine to do. I want machines, voice interface, uh, voice enabled uh, machines to be able to be more proactive, more conversational uh, and amazing projects are going on like uh, at RASA where they're working on the, the next uh, level of conversational AI that can actually help you drill down into what it is that you want because often we don't know exactly what we want up front when we make a request. We need machines to be on our side, to be true assistants, to be able to help us discover solutions and to be able to carry out tasks on our behalf. So I'd like to be able to say to a machine, go and find me the best insurance quote for my car. And it should know what car I have, what kinds of quotes that I'm looking for uh, and what best really means in, in, in the context of me. I think that audio content will become much more important as we use uh, voice interfaces more and more to communicate with the machines around us and access services. We'll expect more of the content to come back in audio form because that will be the the modality that we'll be using. It's also high, higher fidelity and more authentic than what is available today, which is using text-to-speech systems to read content that was written uh, to be read as opposed to content that was recorded while spoken. And so I think that's going to be an increased priority for businesses, uh, certainly, to create content for marketing purposes with voice in mind as the primary modality to develop that alongside written content as opposed to generate audio content from written content. Uh, And indeed, the people that I've been speaking to who already create um, audio content do so audio first. So they, for example, record a, a podcast interview with someone and then derive blog posts and videos from that audio. Audio is the ground truth of the content and everything else stems from that. I think that's going to be another trend that we see going forward. And that content is, of course, going to be accessible through voice interface. We're going to be asking questions and receiving these clips back. We're going to be asking for longer form uh, audio content pieces and listening to those wherever we are. And like I said before, I I hope that the ecosystems become more integrated as well. So that content can be enjoyed wherever we go, seamlessly transitioning from one context to another without having to, you know, incur these hard cuts that we currently do at the moment. Carl, tell me about some of your favorite voice experiences. What are they and why did you like them? Well, I have to say my favorite voice experiences are generally the the first party functionality that's available um, on the smart speakers at the moment. Uh, I don't really use that many third party apps. Discovery is one big issue. I don't really find them. uh, And some of the ones I've used haven't really served a purpose that I find myself needing uh, on a regular basis. So I've tried a number of voice apps that have been fun. I've played a few voice games. I've never been that impressed by voice games personally. I'm a, a gamer on uh, on PC and and uh, and mobile, but voice hasn't never really sparked my imagination. But I use voice every day in the home. I've established a Google routine that you know I just say, uh, okay, Google, activate, and it just turns on the lights in the living room and turns on the the projector as well. And then I generally play like YouTube or Netflix or whatever. Uh, by casting that from from my mobile uh, and in the car as well. I really love the fact that I can now navigate. Uh, just recently, they released a, a tight integration between Google Assistant and um, Waze. So now I can ask um, for uh, directions to a specific location using my voice. That seems to work pretty well. I can be like, okay, Google, navigate uh, home, for example, and uh, and to control the music as well. So I can say, play my flow, and it will play my flow on Deezer, for example. It doesn't always work, but it's, it's good enough. Uh, and the last one is voice search on my mobile. I really don't like uh, tapping and, and swiping. I've got like, the swipe keyboard, which is better than tapping. I've got quite big thumbs, but 
even so, voice search is just absolutely brilliant. I love to be able to just speak, you know, some long query in and get exactly what I'm looking for. So those are the three uh, killer apps at the moment for me. I'm really, uh, really optimistic about voice in general, though. I think we're just right at the beginning. People are still finding their feet. The core infrastructure is still being developed. We're working out what works and what doesn't. So I'm hugely optimistic about where the technology is headed. There are so many smart people working on this problem right now uh, that it's just a matter of time before we reach the next phase and some of those truly killer apps on voice platforms uh, are developed. If people want to keep in touch, what's the best way to do so? Sure. Well, check out the website, voicetechpodcast.com. You've got all the episodes there. Sign up to the newsletter, voicetechpodcast.com slash newsletter, or check out Rumble Studio at rumble.studio. Like I say, the MVP is free to sign up, so just go give it a go. If you want to reach me directly, you can tweet me at voicetechcarl. Get me on LinkedIn, just search for Carl Robinson Voice Tech, or you can email me, carl at rumble.studio. We'll definitely put all that information in the show notes. Carl, it's been a pleasure and a completely new experience using Rumbo Studio. It's a completely different experience and it opens up a ton of possibilities, not only for podcasting, but for just creating audio content of any time. I'm a big fan of Rumbo Studio and what you're doing. Carl, thank you very much for your time and for being on the podcast. Thanks again, Roger. Really appreciate the opportunity. Likewise, it was an absolute pleasure. Keep up the great work on the podcast and at Bixby. It's fantastic to see what you guys are doing over there. So I really look forward to speaking to you again soon. So that's all, folks, for my conversation with Carl Robinson. Really excited about Rumble Studio. It's a completely different way of recording asynchronously. I wanted to give you my short thoughts on using Rumble Studio to create this podcast. So first of all, I think Carl is spot on in the time needed to create great audio content. It's really time consuming. Rumble Studio takes a different approach. It can be a huge time saver. Carl is spot on as well. I was focusing on podcasts, but I think the larger goals of Rumble Studio around audio content are spot on, putting Q&A or some other small audio chunks into small digestible Audio clips is a really awesome way to enable search engines to pick up on this content or create unique and new experiences from existing content. I'm super excited about the idea of taking small audio clips, recombining them, and search engines being able to answer questions using those small audio clips. A couple of things I did miss. I definitely missed the back and forth. If you listen to some of my podcasts, you know, I like to be conversational, ask follow-on questions, react to what the guest said. I always share questions with guests ahead of time, but inevitably I end up asking questions and going off that original idea of what the questions were. I encourage this. I think it keeps the conversation more natural and flowing. But with Rumble Studio, you're more limited to a fixed set of questions. But... Carl talking about using AI to help solve this challenge was really encouraging. I do think an hour-long podcast, as this one was, might be a little long for Rumble Studio. It struck me it is optimized for shorter form content or perhaps more standardized questions that you'd always ask for every guest and then your more interesting questions you record live. Lots of opportunities there. Listen, overall, I'm a big fan of what one can currently do with Rumble Studio and what the future is. It opens up so much opportunity for lots more content created 
much more efficiently for both the guest and the host of a podcast. I'm a big fan. It's now in the stable of my podcast tools, and I suggest you check it out. And that's all, folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe from the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast, signing off.